Good evening. Hello, and welcome to Here's a Johnny's Reviews, the movie review podcast, a little slice and dice, or praise and hype a movie. Each and every month there's a thing. However, for the next three months, July, August and September, it'll be the summer of shocks, which is my look at the Piranha franchise, Stephen King movies, and this month's movies, Alfred Hitchcock classics. A select few of them, that is. So here we have it. Vertigo, one of Hitchcock's masterpieces. Although, don't they say that about all his movies? Mm-hmm. I'm not actually made it all the way through this movie. I have tried watching this about ten times. I always give up. It just doesn't grab me. So, for this review, I will watch this thing to beginning to end. To beginning to, from beginning to end, rather. So let's just jump into this one and see if I have agoraphobia. Or Vertigo. With its $2.5 million budget, this thing pulled in $7.3 million, not adjusted for inflation. Starring Jimmy Stewart, Kim Novak, Barbara Bell Geddes, and Tom Hillmore. Directed by Sir Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, the plot, a former San Francisco police detective, becomes obsessed with young young woman while dealing with his personal demons and fighting off a Vertigo. Can he save himself and a young woman? Or are they both doomed? So, moving us up on an extreme close-up shots of a young woman, then zooms to her eye as up pops Saul Bass's iconic swirling spiral images of the while Bernard Herman's iconic score plays. After some hypnotic spirals, we meet our hero, John Scotty Ferguson, played by Jimmy Stewart of It's a Wonderful Life, Harvey, Rear Window, Airport 77, and North and South TV show. As he gives chase to a crook over the San Francisco rooftops, and I'm getting a lot of Dirty Harry from this bit. He fails to make a jump, however, on a slitted roof and hangs onto the rain gutter for dear life, as an unnamed cop stops to help him and cue the famous quote-unquote vertical zoom, which Hutchcock wanted to use on Rebecca in the 1940s, but the technology wasn't there yet. The cop falls off the roof as Scotty just hangs there, a cue to weeks, months, if not years later, as we find Scotty playing with a walking stick, balancing on one finger, in a designer's office, said designer being Midge, played by Barbara Bell Gettys of Dallas, the TV show fame. Missy Elliott, I believe her name was. Anyway, he drops a cane and moans about having to wear a corset to help his back. So what exactly happened to him? Did he fall off and land on a dead cop just to just hang there while the firemen showed up? What exactly happened? He tells her he can't wait until he gets rid of the stick and corset, asking her if they make corsets for men. She replies more than he would think. She then asks him what he will do now, as he has quit from the force. He tells her he had no choice but to quit, as he has agoraphobia, uh, which leads to vertical, which means he's no longer good as a cop. Um, how exactly? Can't you be stubborn used for a desk? desk work rather, and non-height related cases. <sighs> she grills him some more about what he'll do next. Uh, changing the subject, he points to a prototype of bra on her desk, asking her what it is. She tells him it's a strapless, backless bra that holds everything in and uplifts everything. And how's that one work? <laughs> Claiming it was designed by an aircraft engineer, and this was Hitchcock's little nod to Howard Hughes. He then asks about her love life, to which she replies, quote, there was only one man in my life, unquote, I, him. 
Seems these two were college sweethearts and were indeed engaged to be married, but she called off the wedding. Even though Jimmy Short is 25 years older than Barbara Gettys, but moving on. He then brings up an old college friend, Gavin Elster, saying he got a call from him and he wants to meet him. These two haven't spoken since before the war, that being World War II. She tells him he's probably a bum and just wants money and booze from him. Before leaving, he tells her his plan on getting rid of his agoraphobia by standing on a tall item, each slightly higher than the last, until he is finally cured. With that, he stands on a small stool with no effect, so she gets some sort of high chair ladder type thing, what the hell that is. After climbing to the very top, his agoraphobia kicks in and he faints into her arms. And note, this movie is often blamed for linking vertigo to the fear of heights, which isn't true. That is agoraphobia, which is the fear of heights. Vertigo is sudden dizziness. Cut to a work site and Hitchcock cameo as he walks past the camera straight into Jimmy Stewart. In goes Scotty to see Gavin Elster, played by Tom Helmore. He asks Gavin how he got into shipbuilding and he just replies he gives Murray into it. So he's a gold digger then. Good on. He then goes on to tell Scotty he finds it boring, but since he's married into it, he best work for his father-in-law, as his wife is a bit kooky. Scotty asks him how long he has been back from the, quote, east. What exactly? The, in the east? I have no idea. Did you say the east? He tells him for about a year, but he doesn't know modern San Francisco anymore. Scotty then heads over to a painting of San Francisco circa 1957. He pipes up. He'd love to live there. The freedom, the power, and indeed the money. Uh, no, you wouldn't, mate. That would be the Wild West. You'd probably be shot dead as given a second glance. Also, no electricity, no cars, and no modern technology. She would not like to live in 1857. Scott makes a joke about his vertigo, saying he'd be fine if he just stays on the ground level. And then, about thankfully, there's plenty of bars on the ground level. By the way, isn't San Francisco all just one gigantic hill? How the fuck does he still live in San Francisco? Moving on. Gavin, out of nowhere, asks Scotty to follow his wife and find out everything about her. He then spins a story of how he thinks she is possessed by a ghost. Scotty then laughs us off, telling him he better take her to a quack. To which he replies, quote, same old hard-headed Scott then. So is this why he's called Scotty? Because he has Scottish ancestry? Okay then, doesn't half of bloody America have a Scottish ancestry? I bet half of my American listeners can trace their families back to either Scotland or Ireland. Hell, half the bloody UK, for crying out loud. After all, we are the mongrels of the world. We spread our seed everywhere. <laughs> Gavin goes on to sell Scotty how his wife just stops talking mid-sentence and stares into mid-space, then doesn't react to external stimulation. Uh, take her to a doctor. That sounds Really serious. Uh, not to an old college friend who just happens to be an ex-cop. Oh, it gets weirder. He tells Scotty he followed her one day to the Golden Great Park, where she got out and stared at the water for hours. He then goes on to say he asked her uh, when he got home where she was, and she says she was just sitting at the park. However, he checked her mileometer, and it said 96 miles. Okay then. First up, that is creepy. He followed her... I mean, not only did he follow her, but he even knows exactly how many miles is in her car, for crying out loud. He then goes on to tell him he wants him to follow her to find out where exactly she goes before he takes her to the doctors to get help. Yeah, I'm getting a bit sassier. 
I see his game here. Mm -hmm. Make her think she's losing her mind, so he can take control of the business and indeed the money while playing the good guy role, all while planning to either kill her or stick her in a nut house while he runs absolutely everything. Also, use his old college friend as a patsy, just in case something goes wrong, or to blame him for killing her, or even cheating on him with her. Scotty foolishly takes the case because he's a fucking idiot. That night, at a fancy-ass restaurant, Scotty watches them have dinner. That's a bit weird. And he will meet Madeleine Elster, played by Kim Novak, yet another one of Hitchcock's Atomic Blondes. And what is it with Hitchcock and Atomic Blondes? He has them in almost every one of his movies, from Janet Leigh to Tippi Hedren. And note, this role was supposed to be played by Vera Miles, but she and Hitch had a falling out, so it went to Kim Novak. Indeed, Hitchcock later said she was totally wrong for a role and wish he'd recast. But that's for another story, as Vera Miles was pregnant, I believe, and Hitchcock didn't like the fact she was pregnant, but he did get her back for Psycho two years later. Anyway, moving on, back to the movie. Why did Scotty spy on him having dinner? That's a bit bloody well weird. The next day, he follows her around town to an alleyway to a mysterious building in which he follows. He finds it leads to a flower shop and spies on her buying flowers. Okay then. He then continues to follow her to a graveyard in which is a church, where after following her some more, he finds her laying flowers on a grave. Creepy. He then stalks her, finding out the grave is for a Charlotte Valdez, who died in 1857. Ooh, a connection. He then continues to follow her to an art gallery, which she sits and stares at a painting of a young woman holding a bunch of flowers, the same bunch she bought earlier. Ooh, what does it all mean? Right here is when I usually press stop and eject us, but for this one I will power on and continue. Hitchcock zooms into Novak's hair, which is tied up in a neat bun. Then onto the painting, which has the hair the same hairstyle. <gasps> what does it all mean? Does it mean she's possessed by the ghost of the woman in the painting? Or more likely, she's a bored rich woman who is obsessed with the painting. Like I says, the husband's a bloody gold digger. And she doesn't see this one because she's a fucking idiot. Scotty then waves over a guard who handily has all information on the painting. Lucky that. He returns to his car to follow her some more. And wow, the suspense, the excitement. How can I go without chewing my nails down to the nub? I'm sorry, this is boring and uninteresting. So what if a rich socialite is bored of her mind, driving around town, obsessed with a painting? It's not against the law, is it? All because her gold-digging husband wants her money. Boring! Anyway, I'm going to get some shit for saying this, but I call it as I see it. This is just a boring ass fucking movie 25 minutes in and it's not hooking me one little iota but back to the movie as i must continue he follows her to a hotel at the mckidrick hotel and she handily gets a room right above the sign handy that in he goes to find out what's what by the way is she blind she doesn't notice the same sky blue car following her all day nor the same man in a brown suit and hat following her absolutely everywhere she goes is she fucking blind Okay then, the outside and inside of this hotel is very cycle house. It has the same staircase and indeed the same bloody room layout. He quizzes the old dear running the hotel, then flashes his badge. She tells him her name is Charlotte Valdez and she rents the room for two weeks but never ever sleeps there. It's a bit weird. The old dear goes on to say she hasn't seen her in a few days, but Scotty then tells her she's wrong. 
the Charlotte woman is in her room right now. But the old dear has none of it, saying she's been at the desk all day and no, no one has came in or out. So how the fuck does this hotel make money then? Up she goes to see, but a few seconds later, she calls up to see the room is completely empty. Oh my god, it's a g g g ghost scoop! Zoinks! Uh, with that, he drives back to her swanky-ass house to see her car has the same flowers she bought from earlier. Dun-dun-dee! What does it all mean? Uh, with that, he returns to Mitch to tell her what exactly just happened. As he makes himself a drink, he asks her if she knows anything about the hidden history of San Francisco. She tells him to try a bookstore owner and then asks... Why all the questions as he is no longer a cop? What exactly is he up to? He asks her if she knows the owner of the bookstore, that being a pop label. And she says yes, but she's only known him for a few short months. With that, they head to the bookstore and hear Pop Label, played by Constantine Shane, and that's some name right there, tells him the history of Charlotte and indeed the hotel. It seems she owned a house and had a child to a rich, I'm guessing, oil magnet that built the hotel or indeed the house for her. However, she was cast aside once he had a child from her. She was cast out penniless, so she walked the streets of San Francisco by day until one night she jumped into the bay, killing herself at the age of 26, the same age of um, the woman he's been following. With that, they leave as he drives Mitch home, where in the car she pulled out of thin air. The whole plot of this movie that she did a bloody script because she didn't get it on this fucking movie. I mean, sorry, this <clears throat> masterpiece. Uh, she laughs at him and then just leaves the car. Cut to the next day at a men's social club as Scotty tells Gavin of his findings. Here he tells Scotty she is Charlotte's great great grand child, uh, that she has jewels from her, and this could be how she became possessed. Now, see, there's a germ of a good idea here about ancestors possessing their great-great-grandchild in order to seek revenge, but too bad it's wasted on all this boring-ass slow mystery, which is not a bloody mystery. It's clearly as plain as fucking day. He's a gold digger wanting his bloody wife's money. I mean, Gabby's on to tell Scotty there's madness in her bloodline, and she may indeed try to kill herself because she's now the same age as her great-great-grandmother, i.e. 27, or 6, I wonder how old age is. Cut to the next day, and yes, you have guessed it, it's more following, as he follows her yet again to all the same places, while she does all the exact same things. Except, this time she drives to the base of the Golden Gate Bridge and jumps into the waters below and Scotty dives in to save her and BOOM! They're in love, because of course they are! And instead of, oh I don't know, taking her to the hospital, he takes her home, his home rather, to keep her for a few hours. Okay then. She comes to, in his bed, completely naked, because of course she would. And instead of, oh I don't know, screaming and trying to get away, she sits by the fire to have some coffee. Who the fuck wrote this shit? Finally, 45 minutes into a two-hour movie, she actually speaks. Is she fucking feeling all right? God almighty. <sighs> she asks him how she got there, so he tells her he rescued her, and now she's safe. Okay. He quizzes her as what she was doing there, and all she says is she goes as for the view multiple times a week, and she must have just slipped into the water. The two make a very, very awkward small talk, and if 
you're supposed to believe this. These two are now lovers. Then I'm sorry, but nope, there is no chemistry here. These sparks fall flat. She just sits there fixing her hair while asking all about him. So realism is 10th on the list of this movie then, Hitch. Okay then. Maybe it's because of the world I'm living in right now, but there is no chance in the pits, the very bowels of hell. This is how this scene would play out today. She wouldn't be sitting there sipping coffee, fixing her hair, and making small talk. She'd be running out the fucking door, screaming all the way, before, of course, kicking his ass. I don't know which is better, by the way. The fact she just sits there and fixes her hair, or this whole modern feminist power bullshit. I mean, uh, both of them, two of them are unrealistic. The husband then calls to see where she is, so Scotty tells him he has Maddie, who is, as I said earlier, 26, the same age as her ancestor. While he's on the phone, she slips out the back door. Mitch drives by, drive past rather, to see her leaving, thinking they've had an affair, and just drives off in a mood. Jealousy, much. <laughs> Next day, he follows her yet again. Stalker, much? I mean, Jesus Christ. This time, she takes him on a wild goose chase around San Francisco. Back to his flat, where the two have yet more fizzled out chemistry. She goes to a, to drive off, but he asks to follow her, so she takes him for a drive. What the fuck? No! Run, love! Run! He's a fucking stalker! She takes him to a forest, where the two go for a walk, where he shows her rings of a tree that was cut down in 1930. She claims she was born in the 1800s and died in the 1830s. Uh, with that, she walks into the woods and disappears into fresh air. <gasps> a ghost! He finds her behind a tree and asks her what her name is, where and when she was born, and why she jumped into the bay. Cue horrible overacting by Novak. He then drives her to a coastline, where yet more overacting from her and indeed Stuart. Get to the fucking point, Hitchcock already. Jesus Christ! She then runs off, claiming to be mad, and tries to jump into the rocks below. Scotty then saves her again, and the two kiss. Okay then. That night, back at Midge's, Scotty shows up for a drink after finding a note from her on his doorstep. So are these two still banging or what? I mean, hmm. Anyway, she makes him a drink, and asks him where he goes now. All he says is he's a reasonable bit of a wanderer, and wanders around San Francisco. Because she can't get him on the telephone. This movie's a fucking joke. Okay, I've got to say this thing, but yeah. These two have far more better chemistry than he and Novak does. Why isn't there a role reversed here? I mean, uh, anyway, she shows him what she's been doing all day, i.e. painting. Which just so happens to be the same painting of Maddie with her in the same pose. Okay then, this triggers him off. And he just runs off. Much later at night, we see Scotty wandering the streets. So is this guy insane then? Okay. Next morning, he's awoken by Maddie. She's shaking up, claiming to have a dream where she had seen her own death. He then tells her it's not a dream, but it's all the places she describes as in real life. She continues not believing Scotty. Then goes on to tell her how she jumped from the rooftop, sorry, the, 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 the church bell tower to her death. He then tells her he'll take her to the place to prove this is all real. To return to noon that afternoon. Cut to the afternoon. He's driving her to an old Spanish village just outside of San Francisco, San Juan Batista, I believe it was called. One thing here. She's been driving here 
on and off for weeks, shouldn't her mileometer be much higher than 97 miles? After all, he drops a line saying it's 100 miles outside San Francisco. Therefore, that would be a 200 mile round trip times a few times a week. That's not much higher than 97. Yeah, I think it is. Moving on, she walks around a place and is triggered by certain objects. He tries to tell her she's been there before, but she isn't listening. Instead, she kisses him. She then tells him she loves him running off. He stops her. So she tells him yet again she loves him and indeed kisses him yet again, running to the bell tower as he runs after her. And why am I getting Batman 89 from this bell tower? She runs to the top, he chases after her, but his vertical strikes and she jumps to her death. And note this vertical shot, as Hitch coined, was done by turning a miniature set sideways and zooming in while pulling the miniature back. The end, right? Wrong! This fucking thing has 45 minutes left. Uh, time for a Murder She Wrote twist, which is seen coming from fucking 10 seconds in. Note this bell tower was a 70 foot set, as the actual bell tower burned down in the 1930s. The outside shot of the cops climbing over the church roof, however, is a painting. Cut to a trial, as Scotty explains himself. Wait, what? Okay, I am completely and utterly lost. It cuts from the painting to zoom across the plateau onto, well, across the courtyard rather, onto a church. I don't know, a church. It's a, what the hell it is. It's a, some sort of meeting hall where he's getting judged. Okay then. So he's getting framed for the murder of Maddie, while the judge says he's killed before using the exact same method. What the fuck, Hitchcock? No wonder this flopped at the time. This is utterly goddamn ridiculous. I mean, you're supposed to believe this guy's a mass killer as he's killed two people that's actually by throwing off the roof. Okay then. Minutes after the judge stops talking, the jury passes judgment that Scotty is not guilty as Maddie indeed killed herself. With that, Gavin tells him he's packing up to return to Europe as he simply can't live in San Francisco anymore. Cut two days later, with Scotty visiting Maddie's grave, as that night he has a nightmare. And cut two weird flashing lights and a flower nightmare. What the fuck? Animated flowers, then shots of Maddie, but with brown hair and not blonde. Then a shot of Jimmy Stewart's head floating into madness. What the fuck was he on? What the hell was LSD a thing in the fucking 50s? Oh God. Cut to Scotty in a local nuthouse, as Midge visits him. She plays a Mozart, then... Is pulled away by a nurse as he just sits there and stares into mid space. Mitch goes to see <coughs> Johnny's doctor, who tells him, tells her rather, he'll be in a nut house for at least a year. So I'll make it straight here. He's voluntarily in this nut house because he feels guilty over Maddie's death. Okay then. Months later, at Maddie's old house, after we get shots rather, of San Francisco circa 1957, to be found, Scotty is out and free, and Maddie is alive? No wait, it's just some old woman, he mistakes for her, then questions her as where she got Maddie's green Rolls Royce from. He goes back to every single place he spotted Maddie, bumping into lookalikes as he does all the way along. Is he really out of this all in his head? Is he getting completely buck nuts insane? <laughs> he then sees her everywhere from the restaurant to the art gallery, but it's all lookalikes of a woman he mistakes for her time and time again. He even goes as far as to stalk one woman that vaguely looks like her to the Empire Hotel, as then he goes to find her again. Is this all in his head? 
or is he actually out in the wild, so to speak? <laughs> he knocks on our door, and of course she answers it, because guess what, she's a prostitute. Uh, she at first wants nothing to do with him, until he presses her, and she lets him in. Yeah, no, not even in 1957 would she let him in. She's a prostitute, so nope. Um, sorry Hitchcock, this rings false to me. This is Judy Barton, played also by Kim Novak. She claims she's a stock chick girl at a clothing store. Then why is she expecting a client any time then? Okay then. She backs off to call the cops behind her back, but as she tries to do it, he talks her his way in. She then stops when he asks to prove her ID. So she pulls out her ID, claims she's from Kansas. Okay then. With that... She throws him out, but he just stands there and stares her down. She then even shows him family photos. What in the actual fuck is going on with this movie? He then asks her out, which she agrees to. Boo! Shit! Absolute fucking nonsense. Cut to a flashback where it shows Judy dressed as Maddie and Gavin throwing Maddie's dead body from the tower as she covers her mouth trying to hold back a scream. Okay, what the fuck? Why would she stay in San Francisco if she knew Maddie stayed there? The dumb bitch. Couldn't she have took the money that was given to her and run to somewhere else? The fucking idiot. Especially she knows that Scotty lives in San Francisco. The fucking... Oh my god. She starts to pack a bag and write up a note explaining everything. That Gavin did kill his wife and he even used it as a patsy in order for him to get away scot-free. How very Columbo. Or even did murder she wrote, or any of these fucking tea time fucking crap things. Uh, investigation bullshit things. Anyway, move on. She goes on to say she fell in love with him, which was not part of the plan. She wants him, but she'll know he'll have nothing to do with her. Oh, you fucking think? He went completely dual-ally and spent over a year in a nut house. You want him to fall in love with you, you fucking bitch. She then tears up the note, puts her stuff back in the closet and gets dressed for the date and then goes on said date. Yeah, uh, no. And this bitch is ice cold. This, as I said earlier, this guy spent over a year in a nut house, but because she loves him, she thinks she can lead him on in order to get him to fall in love with her again. Yeah, ice cold. The two go back to hers after the date where he asks her to give it up for him, and indeed, he'll keep her as his trophy wife. Okay then, where exactly is he getting the money from? I mean, uh, and how in the fuck does this have 25 fucking minutes left? Moving the fuck right on the two date and fall in love, because of course they do, until he takes her shopping for the grey suit, the same grey suit Maddie died in. Creepy. He then goes on to buy everything Maddie wore when she was with him. Creepier. Later at night at his flat, he tells her that he loves her, and she said she'll love him only if he accepts her for her. He then says, first should think about yourself and to work. What the fuck? It's a feminist's worst nightmare. The next morning, he takes her to a beauty salon to dye her blonde and change her makeup to look exactly like Maddie. Run, bitch! Run! This guy's a fucking nutjob. I mean, oh my god. 
much later, she returns to her hotel room looking exactly like Maddie. The grey suit, the blonde hair, the makeup, the lot. He tells her to put her head up in a bun, which she does as to kiss. This kiss morphs to the Spanish town. They kiss again and morph back into the bedroom. Okay. She then tries on a black dress and go on a date to the first restaurant where he first saw her over a year earlier. She makes one flower, the same piece of jewellery in the painting Maddie was obsessed with, so now he knows she set him up. He takes her to the Spanish town, and should the alarm bells go from her fucking head? I mean, first of all, he gets her to change everything about her to suit his bloody imagination, his obsession, and then he's taking her to the Spanish town, the same town where Maddie died. This is a dumb bitch. The two arrive at the bell tower, where he drags her up the bell tower, and indeed his intent is to throw her off. He snaps and gets a confession out of her. He then pulls her up the clock tower. She cowers in a corner as tries to reason with him. As out of nowhere, a nun opens the trap door. This startles, uh, what's her name, Judy, and she falls to her death on the clock tower. What the fuck? The nun rings the bell. As he just stands on the ledge as credits roll. So that was Vertigo. This should never have been a tour movie, but a Hitchcock half hour. Apart from some clever camera tricks, this has nothing to offer. It is slow, boring, hollow, and this fucker drags. The twist I saw coming from the first five minutes. No wonder this tanked back in the day when it was first released. This isn't one of Hitchcock's best, far from it. This movie worked my last nerve. This is utterly ridiculous bloody movie. I'm going to give this thing a very generous 3 out of 10. Still, come back next week as I look at a weird window. Then the rest of the month for some more selected Hitchcock classics. September is Stephen King movies. October is House on Haunted Hill movies. November is Night Off movies, and December is End of the World movies, such as Ghostbusters 2. So get to like, share, comment, and subscribe. Also follow me on Twitter at Here's Johnny's Pod, or email me with suggestions to Here's Johnny's Reviews at gmail.com. So check out my other podcasts, uh, horror podcasts that is, of Psycho, House, Hellraiser, Aliens, and more. Also my solo podcast of The Fog, The Stuff, Donnie Darko, and many, many more. Hey, bye, and remember, I watch these movies so you don't have to. Now, also remember, never trust an attractive blonde. She may indeed, or indeed he may indeed, try to kill you or set you up for murder. Hey, bye. <laughs>